And even as we're, we're working through Romans 10 and almost, you know, understanding the call again as a right, we have been gifted righteousness. And, and we've been looking at that two types of righteousness. Uh, you either get righteousness through doing or you get it through believing. And God has offered his righteousness through believing. And we said last week that God has mercifully done for us what he demanded of us through Jesus Christ. And we said that beginning in, in verse 5. It's an explanation, we said, of what culminated in verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. And, and again, the question becomes how. How can God gift you righteousness? How can God take what how can God take a sinner and rightly forgive that sinner of their sin and and in a way that he remains righteous but also that he declares you completely righteous therefore he can take you in and Paul explained again in verse 5 he begins explaining that there are two sources of righteousness either self or God either works or faith you either look to the law and what you can do, or you look to God and what He has done. You either do the impossible yourself, you try to do the impossible yourself, and that is obey the law perfectly and do it all the time, or through faith you look to God and what He has done through Christ and what Jesus did in never sinning and fulfilling the law and dying where sin demanded death. You either trust what you can do, or you trust what God has done for you. That's the issue. And I'm going to say this carefully because, again, I, I this is being recorded. I, and for everyone, my dad is the only one that listens to these probably. But dad, listen carefully. Listen carefully, dad. I want to say this. Very, we hear it all the time. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we, we quote it all the time. For grace you are saved through faith and not of works, lest anyone would boast. We hear that all the time. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. We're saved by grace. We're saved by grace. It's free. It's free. It's free. Listen, I, my problem is, is I don't understand. The, I don't under, think that we understand the why behind that statement. I don't think we understand why we can make that statement. How and why is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 true? How can I be saved by believing and not doing? How can God save me by grace apart from works? That's what Paul is showing. And this is huge that we grasp this. Salvation must be completed in a way that God remains just. Oh, thank you. I put one in my pocket too, so thank you. Salvation must be completed in a way that God remains just. As he forgives sinners, as he declares sinners to be just. And listen, God's righteousness, we've said this, God's own righteousness is at stake here. That's the issue with the gospel. More than anything else is how does a righteous God forgive unrighteous people of their sin? And how does he do that rightly? How does he do that in a way that he remains righteous? And we have to realize what this means and what this grace points to. How and why can we claim Ephesians 2, 8, 9? How and why can we lay down our own works and trust in the works of God? And the reality, again, this is where you have to listen carefully. 
The reality is this. Please listen carefully. You and I are saved by works. Just not our own works. That makes sense? We are saved by works. It's just in faith I lay down my own works because I realize they're inadequate, they're insufficient, they cannot accomplish the goal, and I look to what God has done for me. Does that make sense? We are saved by works. And my struggle is this, in my mind as I, as I think of these, these things, even in my own life, is this. When we, when we just run around talking about free, 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 grace, grace, and we don't understand the whole picture, here's my struggle. We diminish the work of God. We treat salvation as if it was just free, free just, it had no cost, it had no, no death to it, that, God, that it was like, almost like we had, like God just had 10,000 shirts in an overrun, and he's like, I got to get rid of these, well, you take one, and, and you take one, and, and you take one, versus the real gospel is this, God wove and knit a shirt specifically for you. He didn't have this room full of shirts sitting there, and he's just like, well, I need to get rid of these, so let's just save David, and let's just save Don, and you know, we'll just, we've got to get rid of them, we'll just give them to Chris. The reality is this, he took Don's measurements and he knit a shirt for Don. And he, and he, and he knit a shirt for David. And here's how he did this. He did this by crushing his own son. A son who knew no sin, who lived a perfectly sinless life, who took on flesh and who humiliated himself, was crushed by the very ones that he came to save. You know why he did that? To his glory. That whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord, as we see in Romans 10, 9, could be saved. Why is that true? Because Jesus Christ has done everything necessary for you to be saved. Does that make sense? And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we think this is just some casual, nonchalant thing, like there was no cost to it. There was no cost to you. God bore that cost. And listen, it's the source of the works that are the issue. God has done. What Paul is saying is that you can lay down your own works. You, and, and, and because God has done the work for you, he's done everything necessary so that you could be saved. And here's the response. Call out to him. Again, God did not just sweep our sin under the rug. And, and that's, that's what I'm, I'm fearful that that's the way it comes off. Like it was just this casual, like whatever, let's just act like that never happened. That's not salvation. The wage, what was earned by our sin, Romans 6, 23, death was paid by God through his son who, who perfectly obeyed the law, did not deserve to die. Right? That's why Paul can say what he says here. That's why Jesus in his dying words could say, it is finished. The work is done. What needed to be done in order for God to be just and to justify those who have faith in Christ is finished. 
Faith is you laying down your works and you're trusting in the sufficiency of his works. That's the issue. That's faith. And it takes faith. That takes faith to lay that down. God did what was impossible for you and I. But was required of you and I. Right? The law said, if you sin, you die. Somebody's got to die. And 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That we might become the righteousness of God. You either trust in his works or you attempt to your own works. And we've already seen in Romans 8, you and I cannot obey the law because the flesh is weak. The issue is not with the law. The issue is with our flesh. We cannot obey it perfectly. Therefore, we sin. And the law just exposes that. Look to Christ. That's what Paul is saying. And, and in 9, I, I'm trying, I think Paul is trying to help us understand that and and, and again, I, I was reminded of this this week, and, and, and I don't know if the, I, I hope the illustration fits, but I remember some time ago, things were hectic at our house, and, and we, found a, we found a sign the other day that we thought was fitting for our house, and it says, some saw it, some, we hung it up in our house, and I think this Friday, is for this Friday, the open house, yeah, this Friday, if you want to come see it, come to our house, have fajitas and see it. It says this, some call it chaos, we call it family. And somebody, somebody graciously offered to, to have our house cleaned. Wonderful, gracious gift, huge blessing. But listen, and, I, and I, that in and of itself was gracious, but as I learned more about the circumstances, I appreciated even more because what actually took place was that this family had somebody who regularly cleaned their house. And on that scheduled date, instead of that person going to their house, they sent that person to our house to clean. See what I'm saying? They substituted ourselves. They substituted my family in the place of their family. And they paid. Right? Things didn't just go on in normal and just like, just go. No, they substituted us. It wasn't business as usual. It wasn't some inconsequential thing. They substituted us for themselves. They sacrificed. They placed the Bashams in the place of where they belonged. And to me, it made it all the more gracious. Business didn't just go on usual and they just say, hey, when you have time, go over there to the Bashams. They literally sacrificed themselves. And to me, it was a reminder that we must think rightly about our salvation. We must think rightly about this was about mercy and the grace of God. It was not inconsequential. We walk around saying it's free, it's free, it's free. That's true, but, but like most of the, these Christianese sayings, it's kind of half true. It wasn't free to God. It cost him his son. Listen, it cost Jesus, it cost Jesus fellowship with God, it cost Jesus betrayal, it cost physical and emotional pain, it cost Jesus the feeling of being abandoned by his father, 
feeling that of even death, of being spat upon, of being beaten by the very ones that he came to forgive. Listen, we've got to realize that we're, we're saved by works, just not our own works. God's work, God's sufficient work through Christ has made a way, again, for him to be just as he justifies the ungodly. That's the issue. And that's why we can say what is true, what Paul can say is true of his gospel. Because of the sufficiency of the work of Jesus Christ, because he has perfectly obeyed and fulfilled the law, now salvation is open to the whole world, even the Gentiles who do not have the law. Now, because of the sufficient, adequate, I hate to even use that word, work of God, anyone can be saved. Regardless of ethnicity. Through faith. Equally and easily. And you see it in your handout, the main point, again, it's the same as last week. Saving faith through God's righteousness does not come through doing our own works, but rather believing in the sufficient work of God through Christ. That's the main point. It was the main point last week. We're still in the text. It doesn't come through doing. It comes through believing. And that believing involves, you'll see there on your handout, a specific content. We live in a world all the time. If you're out there talking to people about the gospel, if you're out there talking to people about faith, you're here all the time. Well, I believe in God. Well, my first question is, tell me about the God you believe in. Oh, I'm a man or woman of faith. Well, here's the issue. Where is your faith rooted? Faith has to have a substance. It has to have a content. I mean, Paul is, uses in this section faith or believing in 930, 932, 33, 10, 4, 6, 8, 9, 10, 11, 14. He uses it twice and 16 and 17. You know what that tells me? The issue here is faith. The issue in this section is believing. What are you believing? And, and faith is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the disposition of the person. It's not mere intellectual assent, but it does involve an intellectual assent. There are facts. What you're believing is the sufficiency of the work of Christ. You're believing that what God has done through Christ is sufficient. And again, there's specific content, truth about who Jesus is, truth that God sent Jesus, truth that Jesus is his eternal son, truth that he took on flesh and died, truth that he is equal to the Father. There's specific content. And listen, that specific content is what divides Christianity from all the other religions. What do they say about Jesus? Truth. It's not about sincerity. It's about truth. Listen, I have been sincerely wrong before, right? You probably have too. You can be sincerely wrong. It ain't about sincerity. Salvation is not just sincerely believing what you want to believe about God. It's believing what God has revealed about himself. Specifically, again, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, that is a dividing point. Islam, they ain't, they're not saying that. Prophet, good guy, yeah, we'll buy that. Lord, no, 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 no. Truth matters. 
Again, Paul here is putting Jesus on equal footing with God. Go to the Old Testament. That title was used for God. Paul is equating Jesus with God here. Again, why all religions aren't the same? Because Jesus isn't Lord in their world. They may not, they may not totally um, disavow him and not acknowledge he lived, but they're not going to say he's Lord. And Paul is saying, listen, Jesus is Lord. And you see it in handout. Saving faith involves a heart response to facts. You're trusting that what this word says about God and about Jesus is true. And you're responding. God worked because you and I couldn't. God did what was sufficient because you and I couldn't. God did what was required because you and I couldn't. Believe that. Faith. But that ought to stir up something. You know, stories like Tim's and what believers are doing about injustices around and the effects of the gospel, shouldn't not, they shouldn't be the rarity. Our own salvation ought to compel us to have a heart for, the, for, the, for those who are in chains and those who are captives, specifically to sin, but even beyond that, specific uh, sin in a, in, a, in a contextualized cultural standpoint. It ought to matter. Because, listen, we were the slave who was first set free. We were the slave who could not save ourselves. We were the orphan who needed a father, and that's exactly what God provided in himself. In Christianity, it boils down to essentially living out what has been done to you and me. But it starts with a concrete, bedrock, sure belief in the gospel and its sufficiency. That's where it starts. You see it in your handout. If you don't submit to and follow Christ as Lord, it shows that you really don't believe in Him as He has been revealed to you in the Bible. Lord, that word Lord, that implies submission. It implies that you yield your life to Him. You submit your agenda to Him. You live for His glory, not your own. It involves specific content, but it also He says, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth he confesses, resulting in sanctification. Again, these are not two ways to get saved. Faith is the root, and then you confess your faith with your mouth. That's the fruit of believing. The mouth is simply confessing here what the heart believes. And what Paul is saying here, and you see it in our handout. God's remedy is not better law-keeping, but rather faith in the one who perfectly kept the law and gave himself over for whosoever would believe in him. Go back to Romans 3, verses 28 through 30. Again, Paul, starting verse 27, Where then is boasting? It is, exclu- it is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, the law of faith. We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish it. How do we do that? Because Jesus obeyed it. He fulfilled it. 
Again, go all the way back to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6, at the end of the chapter, it will be righteousness for you if you obey this law. Right? The issue has always been righteousness. When we fail, we realize we're not righteous, we are unrighteous, therefore we have a problem. That's why, again, the transition there in Romans 3, 20 and 21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, being witnessed in the law and the prophets. The issue has always been, how do you and I gain righteousness? And God has done it for us. Through Jesus Christ, perfectly obeying the law, and then dying in the place of unrighteous sinners. Taking their sin, taking their death, paying the penalty that you and I deserved, and in place, he imputes us, credits us righteousness. And then we'll get to, uh, eventually, Romans 12, go live righteously. Go live as people who have been set free. Do like Mary. Go back to the captives and explain to them the freedom that has been offered to you. And the fact that it is only found in Jesus Christ. The issue for all of us, the issue for every single one of us in here today is this. Which righteousness are you trusting in? Self or faith? Self or Christ? Are you applying the fact that you have been adopted by God through faith, that you have been redeemed, that you have been rescued, that you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness where death and sin reigned into a kingdom that is reigned by righteousness and eternal life? Are you living under the reign of that king? Are you living, as Philippians says, as citizens of that new kingdom? That's why he says in one in one twenty seven of Philippians, only conduct yourself. That word conduct refers to citizenship. Conduct yourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. Philippians three twenty. Our citizenship is in heaven, for which we await a glorious return of our King. In the meantime, live by faith as citizens of heaven. But it, that is again that involves specific content. It involves be there confessing openly that Jesus is Lord and Savior, that He's risen. God in Christ has done for you and I what you and I could never do for ourselves. That is, obey the law perfectly, live righteously, and He has now substituted His death in our place. He didn't just sweep it under the rug. He didn't just say, hey, let's just act like that never happened. He would be unrighteous. Sin demanded death. Jesus died in our place. Understand that. Understand the, the, the cost and the weight of the gospel. And, and understand this, verses 11 through 13, real quickly. You see it in your handout, number three. Again, number three, because we're continuing from last week. Because of the sufficiency of God's righteousness through faith in Christ, the sufficiency, His gospel offer is available to all mankind. Again, Paul quotes Isaiah 28, 16 here and makes the point that Jesus, the same Lord, is Lord of all peoples. One Lord, one gospel, one righteousness for all peoples, Jew and Gentile alike. Paul also quotes here in 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, for there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, 
For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in richness for all who call on Him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul quotes Joel 2.32 here in verse 13. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Even in the Old Testament. How can that be true? Because God has sufficiently and sacrificially done what was necessary to make your salvation possible. The payment has been made. Grasp that. For all mankind. Look at the language that is used here. Paul says whoever. Paul says no distinction. Paul says all. The, the point is, you see it in your hand now, the sufficient work of Christ has made salvation equally accessible to all through faith. The result is this, whoever believes in Christ will not be put to shame. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How can you say that, Chris? Because Jesus' work guarantees it. His satisfactory, sufficient payment guarantees it. Whoever believes. Again, no distinction. We saw this in Romans 3.22 as well. No distinction. All races, all nationalities, listen, none, none are beyond the reach of the gospel. Christ is sufficient. He has taken the debt, Colossians 2 says, and he has canceled it. He's canceled it. That's the how. But, but it's also the why of why Paul can say this, why law keeping doesn't work. Why God had to do it, and He did it. Everything was meant to point to Christ. Again, we've seen it, Galatians 3.24, the law was a tutor to lead us to Christ. It was to get us to look for somebody to do it for us. A substitute. And again, only through Christ. Listen, Christianity, again, Christianity is accused of being exclusive. And don't get me wrong. Christianity is exclusive. Okay? It is exclusive. Why? Because here's the, here's the hypocrisy. Here's the hypocrisy of the world. All truth is exclusive. Right? Isn't that by the very nature? Truth is exclusive of everything that is not true. And there's no way around it. Listen, every religion out there is exclusive. Every interest group, really, even in today. Because listen... Every self-interest group that, that, that accuses you and I, believer, of being exclusive, they're exclusive. You say, how? Okay? Try not believing what they believe and see how far you get with them. Right? They're exclusive. Right? We've taken this word tolerance and we've, we've, uh, we've made it mean acceptance. Tolerance means this, that you and I don't agree, but we can, be, we can exist together. There's a whole other word in the English language called acceptance. Tolerance and acceptance are not the same. What they want when they say for me to be tolerant is what the world wants is really for me to accept their sin. And this Bible doesn't allow me to do that. And listen, if we really love them the way that we are called to love them, we shouldn't accept their sin. Why? Because we have the solution. We have the solution.
All truth is exclusive. You know, you stand up against homosexuality and see how inclusive the LBGTQ, you know, whatever it is, I can't keep up with it. You know, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just saying like every day there's a new letter. I don't even know what it means. Stand up against it and see how inclusive they are. Say that a man is a man is a man based on his birth and a woman is a woman is a woman based on her birth. See how far that gets you in today's world. Here's the beauty, though. You see it on your handout. Christianity is the most inclusive of all exclusive religions. I would argue it's the most inclusive of all exclusive religions. Doesn't matter what nationality you are. Doesn't matter what race you are. Most of your other world religions primarily, primarily are relegated to a geographic region. Primarily. Not Christianity. Christianity, you see it on your handout, truly is a world religion. God has come to seek and save that which is lost from every tribe, every nation, every nationality, every race, every people's group all over the world. He is literally redeeming, reconciling, recreating his original creation. He's drawing his creation back to himself and making a way for that to be done in a way that he remains righteous. Listen, this is why Paul can use Deuteronomy and relate it to the gospel. How he can quote Moses and relate it to the gospel when he says that the law is not too difficult, not beyond their reach. Why? Because God has done it for them. God has done, we said it, what was impossible for you and I, God did. And he's laid it at your feet. And the the question here becomes this, don't be like Israel and stumble over the truth. Don't be like Israel and stumble over Christ. We said it's equally accessible. You see it on hand now. The sufficient work of Christ has made salvation easily accessible through faith. It's equally accessible and it's easily accessible through faith. Not a bunch of hoops. And I, and I illustrate that as we close here. When someone is drowning, and they know they're drowning. They know they can't save themselves and they see somebody out there who is on the shore, someone who can help. They cry out to that person. They call upon that person. They're asking that person for help. They're acknowledging their need. They're acknowledging their lack of ability to do anything about it. And they're acknowledging that other person's ability to help. Listen, and in calling out, the person drowning is making an appeal To be saved. It's that easy. And that appeal, listen, is is to the person's nature and the person's character for help. And if they offer help, you know what you do? You quit trying and you take their help and they save you. Paul is saying, if you cry out for help, if you will call out to Jesus, he will save you. His nature, his character, he will respond with salvation. But you're going to have to quit working on your own. You're going to have to take his righteousness. You're going to have to confess that his work was sufficient. And look at the answer. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. 
That's the next fill-in there. What Paul is saying is that if a sinner believes in Jesus Christ for salvation, if he calls out to Jesus for help, if you cease trying to earn or merit salvation on your own, if you lay down your own effort of being righteous, you will not be disappointed in what God offers you through faith. What was far off has been brought near. Gentiles who had been excluded for so long have been brought near into the people of God. That's salvation open to all. Even God, even Israel's sovereignty, and we don't have time to look at it, but write down Acts 13. Well, let's read it. Let's do it. Who cares? Acts 13, 46 through 48. Look at what God did, even in, even in, God's, in God's sovereignty, even in Israel's rejection and their stumbling. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the whole region. Listen, not even Israel's rejection slowed down the gospel. All under the sovereign greatness of our God. The the reality is this, when, when you and I die... And we stand before God, you're either going to get you're either going to argue your own righteousness or you're going to argue God's righteousness. And only one is sufficient. Romans three, there's none righteous on their own. No matter how good you are, you're not righteous, you're not perfect. You're either going to you're either going to claim that you've done something to get in or you're going to quote the hymn writer and you're going to say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness. There's only two options, Paul is saying. A righteousness through doing or a righteousness through believing. Which are you? Which are you? That's the question. Which are you? Learn from Israel's mistakes. Don't make them for yourself. God has freely opened a door of salvation to all, but you have to come through faith in Christ. And I saved this to the end so y'all wouldn't close your Bibles too early. Salvation is believing what is true of Christ. It is believing what is true of Christ. And I pray that's you today. 